the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. That ought to tell us something about the importance of prayer. The disciples obviously saw Jesus pray often and realized how important prayer was to this man. And as disciples of Christ, prayer ought to be important to us as well. He died on the cross so we could call God Father, and then God made a way for us to be able to communicate with him through prayer. It is a great privilege, and frankly, you should have discovered by now in your Christian walk that if you don't pray, not only are you in disobedience, but uh, life falls apart. It just falls apart. You can accomplish a lot in your own strength. God has made us in his image. He's given us gifts and talents. He's given us resources. But as Pastor Andy taught last Sunday to the men at Ironworks from John chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Like, well, I can do a lot apart from you. Well, not the things that matter eternally. Not the things that matter eternally. And so we need prayer. We need prayer. So Jesus gives us this model for prayer. If you weren't here last week, we said the Lord's Prayer is a model for prayer. It can be recited, but not in the sense that you say it over and over and it has some kind of magical quality to sanctify you. Your thoughts should be engaged as you pray. It's not something you repeat like it's some kind of Eastern, mystical, transcendental meditation. It's not something you repeat in order to pay for your sins. It is a model for prayer, and it's recorded in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. It's also recorded here in Luke, and the, prayer, the versions are slightly different. But everything that is in Luke's version is in Matthew's version. In fact, the way that came out of my mouth, it almost sounds like one is Luke's prayer and one's Matthew's prayer. They're both the Lord's prayer. When Scripture gives us more information on the same topic, we take notice. It's one of our interpretive principles. Let more clear Scripture interpret less clear. So I'm using the prayer of our Lord as recorded in Matthew as my model for teaching, even though we're in Luke. So there's some additional words in Matthew's version that are important that we cover. It's also the version that we're, we've all memorized. And most of the way that we've memorized the Lord's Prayer is from the King James tradition. And there's another rule of thumb in Bible translation, and that's if there is a passage that was recorded in the King James in a certain way that everybody has fallen in love with, don't mess with it. Even if there's a much better way to translate the Greek or the Hebrew, it makes people nervous about a new Bible translation. Now, sometimes new Bible translations do butcher a text, and we need to be on guard for that as well. 
But when we get to the section on forgive us our trespasses, you've also heard it, forgive us our debts. You've also heard it, forgive us our sins. And all three work. All three work. But I'll show you some things in the Lord's Prayer this day that I hope really enhance your prayer life and change the way that you approach the Lord in prayer. The fact that Luke records a slightly different version may also indicate that it wasn't so important that the exact words of the prayer be said, but that we use it as a model for prayer. There are no records of the disciples praying this prayer word for word in the New Testament. Is it that interesting? So we may assume that if that was Jesus' intent, then we would see recorded for us in the New Testament the disciples repeating this prayer. We have lots of prayers recorded in the New Testament. And the one thing they all have in common is how God-centered they are. How God be glorified in His program be unleashed in this world. Rather than many of our prayers, which begin with asking God for things or stuff or to change my circumstances, to remove something uncomfortable from my life. And it's not that there's anything wrong with those prayers. It's just that if that's all we pray... God ends up becoming some kind of cosmic vending machine or great therapist in the sky. You'll notice that this prayer, though, causes us to reprioritize and reset our hearts. In the beginning of the prayer, resets our hearts to remind us who God really is. Who is this God? That we are talking to. Before we jump into our requests. For us personally. The Lord's Prayer records some requests. Some petitions. That at first don't really sound like petitions. But they are petitions. They're petitions. Before we get to those petitions, though, I did want to spend a little time on this preposition in heaven. So last week it was our Father, this week in heaven, or who art in heaven. For the children in the room, it's not that he's doing art in heaven. That is an old English way of saying who dwells in heaven. Our Father taught us a couple things last week. That word our, which is not in Luke's version, but is an important word, tells us that we pray corporately, but we also pray individually. But as we pray individually, don't lose track of the fact that we are part of the body of Christ. And that will help shape your prayer life indeed. You'll be thinking of other people and their needs, and how you can be a blessing to others. 
Sometimes I've gone into prayer thinking this one thing that's going on in my life or this thing I need is the important thing. And by the time I finish prayer, not such a big deal anymore. Especially when I go through the prayer requests for the church and see the kinds of things that you're struggling with. My problems get really small. So, our Father. And then, only those who know Jesus Christ can call God Father. It's exclusive. The universal fatherhood of God is a concept completely foreign to the Bible. It is a man-made concept that the whole world is under the fatherhood of God and there's this universal brotherhood of mankind. The Bible teaches us to love our neighbor. Everybody's my neighbor. Not everybody is my brother. In fact, Jesus said, those who do the will of my father, that's my brother and my sister and my mother. We're adopted into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And it is the saints... The, the purified ones, the justified ones, through faith in Jesus Christ that can say, Our Father. Father is such a title of intimacy, though, that we need something to keep in balance the fact that it's not like our earthly father. In some ways he is, but in many, many important ways he's not. And so the next part of the Lord's prayer helps us remember our Father in heaven. He is high and lifted up. He is otherly. He is the creator. We are the creature. Heaven is our true reality. Heaven is our true reality. We think the material world is all of reality. There's this whole other realm that you could almost say is more real than what we think is real. We are spiritual beings in material bodies. And we go into prayer thinking of our material bodies and our material needs. And God is helping us reset our minds on the things of the spirit. The eternal things. This preposition reminds us that God's kingdom is of another realm. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. God is high and lifted up. He reigns over all creation. He's not part of his creation, unlike our earthly fathers. He is perfect. He is perfectly wise our fathers may have known better than we did, even though we thought we knew better than them. And once you become a father or a mother, you have kids who think they know more than you. But God, our Father in heaven, knows infinitely more than we do. Infinitely wiser than we are. We are going to someone in prayer who has it all figured out. It's important we remember this. We're not meeting with one of our friends for advice. We're not meeting with a lawyer for legal counsel. 
We're meeting with the God of the universe who sits and reigns on his throne. The Bible speaks of heaven in three different ways. The heavens, the sky, where the birds fly. The heavens, space, where the stars and planets reside. But the highest heaven is this spiritual realm that we can't wrap our minds around. It is the domain of God, the dwelling place of God, the throne room of God. I don't know how to explain to myself or you what that looks like. We'll understand when we get to heaven. But we know that God is also omnipresent. So it's not that he's here sometimes and then he goes to heaven like I go to the office and then go home. He's ever-present. David said, where can I go where you're not? I go to heaven, you're there. I go to Sheol, you're there. There's no escaping God. Which, if you're an unbeliever, is scary. And if you're a believer, is comforting and scary. (laughs) But the right kind of scary. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A healthy fear of God. When I say he's omnipresent, it's not like Eastern spiritualism. He is not the force. There's no yin and yang. He's not part of his material creation except the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, took on human flesh and has both material reality and spiritual reality so that he could represent us. We have a material reality and a spiritual reality as well. So though he is our father, which is a term of intimacy, we must remember that he is the creator. We are the creature, our father in heaven. That's the address of the prayer. The word heaven also reminds us then that heaven is our true citizenship. Yes, we're citizens of Tehachapi, Kern County, California, America, And depending on your political leanings, maybe a citizen of the world. But if you're a Christian, your true citizenship is in heaven. You're an alien. Documented, though. Your name's written in the book of life. Amen. But we have to live in but not of this world. It's a difficult challenge to keep one eye on heaven and one eye here in this brief moment of time that we're given on this planet to glorify God and make disciples of all nations. As long as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, then We pray for the right things because we're concerned with the right things. 
We want more resources to make more disciples. We want our bodies to be strong so we can make more disciples. James says in James 4, you ask, you have not because you've asked not. And when you do ask, you ask with wrong motives to spend them on your lusts. We need the Lord's Prayer to shape what we ask for and why we ask for these things. We are citizens of the celestial city, which means we have different hopes and dreams and agendas than the rest of the world. I said, first service, you need to replace the American dream, people, with the heavenly dream. In fact, you ask 10 people what the American dream is and you'll get 12 answers. It's mythical. I've chased it for far too long. And then the Lord found me and opened my eyes to a better reality, better dreams. And I still fall back into old habits. Start to think, if I got my little kingdom just the way I liked it, then I would feel at peace. And then you, you, you get that missing piece of the puzzle and you realize there's another missing piece. And another missing piece. And this is a blessing from God, folks. It's a blessing from God that our hearts are always restless when we focus on our earthly kingdom. It'll never be the way you want it set up. Praise the Lord. You would be miserable if it was your kingdom. We don't know what a good kingdom ought to look like. That's part of the lie that Adam and Eve swallowed in the garden. They had perfection and they thought there was a better kingdom. How's that for arrogance? And we're going to set it up. And we're going to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God said would only bring death. And they became convinced would bring a better kingdom, a kingdom that I set up. I'm just lacking in knowledge. Eating from the forbidden fruit will give me the knowledge I need to make a better kingdom. Isn't this... The story that's being sold by secular humanism. You see, the problem isn't sin. The problem is a lack of education. Utopia exists. We just need to educate everyone. So give us the power and the money and the influence and the control and we'll usher in utopia. Because we know what utopia looks like and how to get there. That is the false promise of secular humanism. That man is basically born good. He only experiences evil because of ignorance. It's amazing how... That comes right out of Genesis 3. 
That is exactly what the devil told Adam and Eve. And that has been the struggle ever since. So let me save you the trouble of trying to set up utopia. There's something better than utopia, and it's real, and it exists now, and it's called heaven. And it's our true destination. That's the third point. It's our true destination. Since heaven is our final destination where we will receive our glorified bodies, then the Lord's Prayer helps us to remember not to become overly concerned with things like physical health, which is easy to preach, hard to live when you're hurting. (laughs) I know. I'm not saying that we don't pray for physical health, but why do you want physical health? Is it just for the absence of pain in your life? Look at what the Apostle Paul accomplished in a body that had been stoned to death twice. And if in 2 Corinthians, when he prayed that God would take away his thorn in the flesh, if that thorn was a physical ailment, we're not sure if it was a physical ailment or a person that was interrupting his ministry. But if it was a physical ailment, he prayed three times for it to be removed and God said, my grace is sufficient because this ailment will keep you humble, Paul. Keep you humble and dependent on God. I just wanted to say a word about that because I know, I objectively know because you send your prayer requests in. And I lead Bible studies where we share prayer requests that Probably 90% of our prayer requests are for physical healing. And there's nothing wrong with praying for physical healing, but you see no such petition in the Lord's Prayer. Paul told Timothy to take a little wine for your stomach. And he had the apostolic gift of healing. James says, if anyone is sick, go to the elders. And then goes on to say, and while you're there, confess your sins. Not to say that every illness is connected to a sin. But there's far more worse things in your life than physical sickness. Sin sickness is far more detrimental. Far more detrimental. And God has promised us to do something about our sin sickness here and now. He has not promised to do something about our physical sickness now, but later for sure. His glorified bodies are waiting for believers. And the youth say, yeah, but I want now. And the older we get, the more that glorified body I can wait. I was reading Proverbs this week. The glory of a young man is in his strength. The glory of an old man is in his gray hair. And I thought for a second, well, I have that to look forward to. Right? (laughs) And you, you understand the gray hair is wisdom. And in God's economy, 
Wisdom is far more valuable than strength and physical health. And I know when we're hurting, we would love to have that physical health. But we depend on the Lord in prayer to let him to tell us and instruct us what are the better things in life. And there is a wisdom that comes on the other side of pain and suffering that can only be acquired through trials and suffering. And so let the Lord's Prayer instruct our prayer life. Move your prayers for physical healing to the end of the list. And maybe, like me, when you get to the end of the list, it won't be as big a deal as it was when you started praying. And you can certainly always pray what Jesus prayed in the garden. Lord, if there's any other way to teach me what you're teaching me, could we drink that cup? But thy will be done and not my own. If, if this is the way that I need to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, then thy will be done. Have mercy on me. Give me grace to endure. Now let's move into the, the petitions. We get three rapid-fire petitions. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's three petitions. And I'm going to demonstrate to you that it's really one petition. Now that first line, most of us don't think as a petition because of the way the King James translated it. Hallowed be thy name. It sounds like we're just stating a fact about God, that he's holy. Hallowed is, is holy. But this is a petition. And it goes with the other two. I believe what we're looking at here is called an emphatic Semitic triplet. Is your seminary education today. An emphatic Semitic triplet. Emphatic for emphasis, Semitic, the way Jews would emphasize things, triplet three. What's the most famous emphatic Semitic triplet? God is holy, holy, holy. When Jesus wanted to emphasize a teaching, teaching he would say, truly, truly, twice. Amen and amen. Martha, Martha. I'm glad he didn't go three Marthas, right? And you know, she was really in trouble. It's not that it's the same word repeated three times. It's the same grammatical construction three times in a row, which you can't see in your English translations and again, because we're so tied to the King James translation, because that's the translation we first learned this prayer in, the other translation, English translations, don't really emphasize this triplet. The first line, hallowed be thy name. Say things in Greek, I, I don't know 
if you know any Greek, but some do, and I'll explain. Hagiastato ta anamatsu. That word su at the end is your. You have the verb at the front, you have a noun in the middle, and su at the end. And then the next petition, thy kingdom come, is in the exact same grammatical construction. Elefeto he basileia su, the verb, the noun, and then the pronoun su. And then the third petition, same construction. I can barely read my own handwriting here. You can't cut and paste Greek in Microsoft Word. So I, I had to handwrite it. Uh, it looks like Ganostata Ta Thalema Su, the verb, the noun, and the pronoun Su. And all of the verbs are in the same tense, which is important. It screams out to you as you're looking at the passage and to a hearer with a Greek ear would say, these three go together. These three go together. We're praying that God's name would be holy and that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done. And I will connect them all for you. And there are three different approaches to basically saying the same thing. God be God. The way you are perfectly God in heaven, that's what we want here. Talk about resetting your priorities. I don't know perfection. I don't know what it looks like apart from Jesus Christ. I don't know the whole picture. I don't know the future like God does. You are sovereign. I am not. The whole prayer is designed to completely restructure your thought life. Get out of the material world and into the spiritual world. Get out of the problems that drag us down here. And get a higher vision. And the problems will still be there, but you'll have a completely different perspective on them. And so, holy be your name. Holy be your name. Make holy your name. Now, he's already holy. The problem is, we don't see him as holy. We're not praying that he would become holy. He is holy. Holy means to be set apart. It's not just a moral aspect. Often we think of holiness as someone who's moral and doesn't sin. 
That is one aspect of holiness. But holiness means to be set apart. God is set apart. He is different. He is perfect. There's no one to compare him to to say, hey, is God good? Let me look at good and see if God is good. He is the good. Is this, is what God's saying truth? Well, here's the truth and let me, let me compare it to what God is saying. No, 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 no. God is the truth. He's the embodiment of truth. Well, should we live life this way or the way God tells us to live? Let's, let's compare what he's saying to what we want to do to this higher standard. There is no higher standard. He is the standard. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That is what we're saying when we pray, holy be your name. We're not saying that we hope people around here would stop cussing. That would be nice. But I said this first service, and I will say it even more emphatically second service. I have known many people who do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, who do not set God apart as holy. They've made this rule, and it's a good rule that we never use that phrase, and you shouldn't say that either. You should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It is one of the Ten Commandments. But I have known plenty of people who've made all kinds of these rules and then live their lives not set apart. In fact, Jesus told the Pharisees, you people honor God with your lips, but your heart is far from him. Oh, I don't say GD, which I don't. But people say, I don't say GD. I don't go to movies where they say GD. Now, if it offends you, that's a good thing. And don't go to those movies. And maybe for those of you that it doesn't offend, maybe you should ask yourself, why doesn't that bother me as much as it should? But what I really want you to focus on is not so much whether or not people use God's name as a cuss word, but what do you do with the rest of your life? Don't become one of those people who say, well, I never say GD. You say, why? Because I'm a follower of God. Then why do you go and do that over there? Rules are good in as much as they guard us from sin. But if we don't get to the heart, then we become hypocrites. Likewise, I have met many families who are pretty rough around the edges and they love Jesus. They're trying. They don't know all the, the right rules. And it's easier to help them grow in Christ many times than the people who have certain rules they follow and do them perfectly. So we're not just praying that God's name would not be used as a cuss word. We, we could make laws against that in our country, and there used to be laws, and there's still laws on the books in some states. The judges just don't ever follow them. 
if there was a Navy base, they'd be in trouble, right? It's just not the Navy. Cussing like a sailor, right? You go to these movies that depict military life, and there's all this profanity, and people say, why? And I'm told that's authentic. And so they're trying to make the movie authentic. And I think you can take older children to such movies if you do a ton of teaching them, this is the world we live in. And this is why we're different. But if you're going to stay away from everyone who speaks that way, you're never going to evangelize anybody. So yes, it's a, it's a difficult tightrope to walk. And some... Families just choose, will stay away from it completely, and that may be wise, but only wise in as much as you understand that um, sin resides in your heart. You can run and hide from certain forms of sin, but you can't run from your heart. But I appreciate families who say, let's not entice the sin nature by constantly exposing ourselves to the wrong kind of entertainment. That makes sense as well. You'll have to work that out prayerfully with the Lord. What this is really saying is that God is set apart. He's different. He's the source. He's the ultimate source of all truth and all goodness and all life. And if the world would recognize that and acknowledge it and follow it and ascribe glory to God... How different would earth be? It would be a lot like the Garden of Eden pre-fall. It would be like heaven is now. Heaven was like that until Satan rebelled and then he and the other angels were cast out of heaven so that heaven would remain perfect. And now we're living in a place that they reign for a time. Satan's agenda is in play in our world. That's why our world is never going to be perfect until Jesus returns. So we should be expending our energy and focusing our prayers on God's kingdom coming in the sense that hearts would be turned to Jesus Christ. And Jesus would change hearts and the Holy Spirit would come and dwell people, and they would learn to love God's Word and obeying God's Word. In what ways are God holy? In what way are He set apart? There's a lot, but I want to give you three. Number one, He's holy in His essence. He says in Isaiah 45, 5, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me. There's lots of false gods in this world, including the idols we make in our heart every day. They're not God. God is a real person. His essence is eternal. He's always existed. He can't change This is what is meant by him being holy and set apart. We're talking to someone in prayer. 
completely different than anyone else we would talk to. And he says, I will gird you, I will strengthen you, I will protect you, though you have not known me. And that, that known is saying, though you don't know me exhaustively, that you have not sought me out with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. In this context, he's telling Israel, I will gird you. We can trust that as children of God, he will protect us from all spiritual harm, even though we have not fully known him. Many people are waiting to trust God until they know him completely. And they live their human relationships that way too. Reminds me of a funny scene from the movie Meet the Parents where the fiancé is meeting the dad played by Robert De Niro who is an ex-CIA agent. And he's starting a new business in his retirement, hidden nanny cameras to spy on your babysitters. And he says, let me ask you a question. Can you really ever trust another human being? And he says, yeah, 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 I think so. And the dad says, no, no, you cannot. <laughs> and many of us live our human relationships that way. Can I really trust another person? No, 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 not until I know them completely. You really think you can know, that, know another human being completely, 100%? Of course not. That's not the goal. You get to know each other more and more and more each day. How much more so are you never going to know God exhaustively? If you think you know God exhaustively, it's not God. He's infinite. We're finite. And that's a problem for many people. They're praying to a God that they can't trust because they don't completely know him. And they struggle with God's sovereignty and they wrestle with anxiety and fear and control issues. You can trust God before you figure him out completely. You won't. That's what the eternity is going to be for. It's getting to know God better and better and better each day. We know enough about God revealed in his word and in the person of Jesus Christ to say, yes, I can trust God. Like Peter, after Jesus feeds the 5,000 and then the next day won't feed them bread and says, I'm the bread of life. You must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the crowd leaves and God, the son, says to Peter, do you want to leave also? And Peter, not having all this figured out, says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so that's what we're saying in this prayer. Holy be thy name. You are set apart, God. You are otherly. I don't understand you or your ways completely, but I trust you. May your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life. I trust you. Whatever that looks like. Gulp. <laughs> 
God is also holy in his glory. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another. The Lord's Prayer resets our hearts that, to understand that the glory belongs to God alone. It's not that he's lacking glory and we need to give him glory, that he's lacking. You and I can't add or subtract a single ounce of glory from God. It's been there for all eternity. But we can reflect his glory in creation. In the same way that shining a flashlight on the sun isn't going to add a single ounce of brightness to it, we can reflect the sun's glory like the moon reflects the sun's glory. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. I love the word ascribe. You're just acknowledging what already exists, and we need that in prayer. How quickly in our pride and fallenness do we get concerned with our own glory? I want God to be glorified this week at VBS. And there's a part of me that is a much bigger percentage than I'd like to admit in public, but will, that I want it to go well because my name is on it. And it's that constant struggle till we get to heaven. That God be glorified, not me. Not Country Oaks. God be glorified by country oaks. God be glorified by its people. Thirdly, God is holy in his goodness. He is holy. He is set apart in his goodness. He is always good. He is the source of good. He's the definition of good. He's the standard of good. We can trust this good God. In the story of the rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, good rabbi, and Jesus stops him dead in his tracks. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Are you saying that I'm God? You're right. Right? But he was asking how to inherit eternal life, and Jesus quoted the first half of the Ten Commandments, and the rich young ruler said, oh, great, I've kept those my whole life. He thought he was good because he had the wrong standard of good. There's only one who is good, and that is God. Hallowed be thy name. Holy be thy name. Set apart is your name. You alone are good, God. Forgive me for considering myself good on my own. Reset my heart as I start my prayers before God. Reminding myself who he really is. That'll put my attitude in the right place as I go into my other requests and petitions. Since God is holy, then his people should be holy. Since God is set apart, we should be set apart. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance when you were chasing after your own kingdom and your own will. Don't be like that, but be like the Holy One who called you. Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Also in all your behavior. Not just in your behavior, but... It starts with 
your thought life. Be set apart in your thought life and in your behavior. Don't think the way the world thinks and you won't behave the way the world behaves. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. It's part of this process of becoming like Christ, to think like Christ thinks. It says, we have everything we need for life and godliness in the word of God. I told you I was convinced that these three lines go together in a really one request, and it's emphatic. I think you can see now how praying that God's name would be acknowledged as holy and set apart cannot exist without us also wanting his kingdom to come and for his will to be done. Now, thy kingdom come, thy will be done has a nice English poetic quality to it. It's almost a rhyme. And yet, you end up missing out on what verb is really being used in the Greek. Your kingdom come is good, but your will be done, the word in the Greek for done is from the root word genomai, which means to be born, to be birthed. That his will be birthed into this world. For at the expense of a pun... This term is pregnant with meaning. Very pregnant with meaning. So much so that Paul picks up on this language in Romans 8. Don't turn there. But he says, because we live in this fallen world filled with suffering and sin, all creation groans, and that word for groan is labor pains. Because a new creation is going to be birthed. There's the labor pains and they hurt and they're painful and you want them to go away, but you endure them because you know something magical and awesome is coming on the other side of the pains. That baby. And all creation groans. It wants to get back to its original state in the garden. And then Paul says, we groan. We groan because something in us tells us this life is not the way it's supposed to be. We want to birth something new, something perfect. And then he takes it one step further and he says the spirit groans within us with groaning too deep for words. That is not a reference to a private prayer language. It is saying that the spirit knows what is perfect. The Holy Spirit has been there for all eternity. He knows better what we're yearning for than we know. We don't know perfection. And so in our prayer life, 
we often don't know what to pray because we don't know what it looks like and we haven't been there. But the Holy Spirit knows and groans within us to birth this perfect thing that we're all longing for. And I believe Paul borrows this language from the Lord's Prayer that giving birth verb is the verb that the King James translators translated with done. Thy will be done. I think you're missing out on a lot with that word done. Thy will be birthed. And in the meantime, we are groaning through the labor pains. Your name be holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. Bring it into existence, God. Only you can bring it into existence. But in as much as I can be part of bringing it into existence, bring it into existence through me, through my obedience, through my making disciples, through my evangelistic efforts, through using the gifts and talents and resources you've given me to bring glory to your name. That's what we're praying. That is a huge prayer compared to what we normally pray for. Now we're praying things that are far bigger than ourselves. We're praying kingdom realities into existence. Not like the name it and claim it. False theology where if I think it and say it, it becomes a reality. I'm saying, God, the stuff that I come up with on my own is useless and worthless. Replace it with your kingdom realities. Your will be done. Here's Jesus teaching his disciples to pray and think about this. Jesus came down from a place where all he knew was perfection. You have some kind of earthly analogy to go on. You've visited places that are dark and corrupt and chaotic and messy. And you just wish you could bring some organization and some goodness and some light into that situation because you know you've been there you lived it but imagine how much more jesus knows what heaven is like and he has to come down here and he teaches his disciples to pray let's make down here Mm. you guys have no idea what you're missing out on you're so busy trying to make utopia down here And even if we could make it perfect the way we'd want it, it would still be horrible in comparison to heaven. So thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Jesus, you know best what that looks like. We don't know. There are only two kingdoms. Yeah, I know there's lots of kingdoms and nations and kings, and that's not what we're talking about. There's only two spiritual kingdoms. There is the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Satan. One is eternal. The other one is going down. 
And we spend so much of our time trying to fix the one that's going down. As MacArthur likes to say, we rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. The things that are eternal are going to last are the things that we need to set our minds on. So we focus on the gospel and making disciples of Jesus Christ. In Colossians, it says he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, who created all those kingdoms, all those earthly kingdoms. I also want you to understand that God's kingdom then has two aspects. When we pray, your kingdom come... We're not talking about his universal kingdom. It's already here. It's not like he's not reigning and we're praying for God to reign. He is reigning. But there's an aspect of his kingdom, the redemptive aspect. That's what we're we're praying for, that the redemptive aspect of the kingdom would come. How does that come? Every time a sinner repents and trusts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he's transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Thy kingdom come. So spend your time in evangelism and discipleship. Whenever a believer is sanctified, repents, turns from sin, and walks in obedience, God's kingdom is coming. Spend your time, invest in discipleship. And finally, when Jesus returns and sets up his millennial kingdom, then his kingdom will really come. So the redemptive kingdom was inaugurated at the cross. And we use this term in theology, it's already but not yet. It's already here, but not yet all of it. And so kingdom work, kingdom building... That isn't turning America or the world into heaven on earth. It's saving souls, transferring people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, teaching people to obey all of Jesus' commands. The literal, material, millennial kingdom will be set up by Jesus. And so the final aspect then of this kingdom of God is that Jesus is king and the way we live as subjects in his kingdom is to follow his example. To follow his leadership and his example. What did Jesus spend his time doing? Praying. Why? To prepare himself for what? To save souls and make disciples. That's what his whole life was about. That's what the thrust of our life should be about. And the thrust of our prayer life should be about. For Jesus said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And again, The Garden of Gethsemane will close there because it is the only time recorded in Scripture where Jesus struggled with doing the will of the Father. 
And I'm glad he struggled. Like the writer of Hebrews said, Jesus tempted in every way like us, but without sin. So we have a high priest who can commiserate with us and empathize with us. And yet there's someone we can go to who didn't fail like we do. And so as we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. It is okay to cry out to God. I am hurting. I am weak. I am suffering. If there's any other way, God, for your kingdom to come in my life, can we drink from that cup? But not my will be done. Your will be done. I trust you. I trust your plan. I trust your goodness. Your kingdom will be far better than anything I can come up with. And if that means I have to go through suffering like Christ, then I will say like Christ, for the joy set before me, I can endure my cross to bear. For the joy set before me. The joy that comes on the other side of suffering. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we pray as your people that your name would be holy, your kingdom would come, and your will would be done in each of our hearts, in each of our lives, in this church, in the Christian churches of Tehachapi, and that your kingdom would spread as souls are saved and disciples are made more and more into the image of of Jesus Christ. Help us each time we come to you in in prayer to reset our mind on things above. This is what life is all about. And may that shape and change and instruct our prayer life. For your glory and our good. Amen. Amen.